with us for Rise and Ring Back Tone while your party is reached. I walk around in the summertime saying, how about this heat? I'm on a Oh, hell. I called the wrong damn number. This isn't the Newsmaker line at 301-8080-423-301-8080. This is my cell phone. Made it this far. Might as well check out the voicemail here, right? I guess. Here goes nothing. Hey, it's Brian. And while this is not an assurance, but if you do not leave a voicemail, there is no chance that I'll call you back. Thanks. Bye. God damn it, what an asshole you are. But I still I still I still can't get enough of that uh voicemail. That's fucking great. <laughs> fucking great. Uh but yeah uh, uh assuredly you're an asshole. Goodbye. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's weekly dose. Very hard to say my name correctly. Like Brian. Yeah. <laughs> Brian. Yeah. What's your deal, man? Your midweek download destination. I like his style. It's a sort of casual elegance. I'm slaying lame and I'm exposing frauds. This is pathetic. This is embarrassing. Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Note to self, don't change for And note to self, don't die. Welcome in, everybody, to this supposed, allegedly for-profit venture that is called the Stone On Air Podcast, the weekly dose for November 22nd, 2017, the Thanksgiving Eve edition, if you will, although that doesn't mean you're listening to it before Thanksgiving at Stone On Air on all social media. And the show concept and ideas for the last couple of days have shifted drastically. Um, And I'm sticking with most of the original idea. might seem a little scattered at times, but being scattered is kind of the story of my life. Thank you for finding the most listened to, the most downloaded, the most easily accessible podcast in the city of Chattanooga. And thank you for listening to the new Alt 98.7. I've been getting lots of feedback, and a lot of you are there, as you should be, because, I mean, just because I'm there talking a couple times an hour doesn't mean a whole lot. It's good music. It's a fun station. It's a fun time, and I appreciate you finding it. When I do open my mouth and say something on that radio station, I try to say something interesting. I try to say something uh, worth listening to. I, I, I don't know that I succeed. Well, there's no chance I succeed every time. I just hope that I succeed at least somewhat maybe close to a majority of the time every uh, Tuesday is when I record the podcast late late Tuesday night and really into Wednesday morning depending on what exactly my schedule is or what's going on but generally that's what it is so for so Tuesday every Tuesday is real job for a full day radio show podcast recording and editing and posting it basically takes up every single second of my Tuesdays. So anytime, hey, you want to go get a beer? Nope. My mom texts or called me last night. Hey, your brother's in town. Uh, they're in, in town early for, for the holiday. And uh, you want to come by? Prime rib, surf and turf. Going to be killing it over here. Uh, nope. I don't have time for anything other than uh, three jobs. One pays well. One pays, eh, you know, reasonable. And then, uh, again, the supposed for-profit venture that is the podcast doesn't pay anything. Uh, maybe we can change that in to 2018. 
All right, so a couple of things happened today that have changed where I was going to go. There was this piece that my dad actually posted last week, and generally speaking, I'm not going to uh, to reference things that my father posts. Not that he's you know doesn't you know he's not smart or doesn't put things worth reading online. It's just generally not where I go to get my information. But then I started to see it pick up s- speed. And I got to reading it, and it's something I've been wanting to go into for a long time, but I wanted to be careful how I did it. Well, when I saw somebody saying all the same things I've been thinking for a long time, and it was from a Southern Baptist minister who wrote this opinion piece, it feels like it gives me a little bit more of a pass to bring it up. Not everybody's going to like this final segment of the show. It's The Death of Christianity in the United States by Miguel de la Torre. And I'll tell you more about him and uh, and this piece in the uh, final uh, third of the show. I, I think it's interesting for all walks of life, all believers, all non-believers. I think it's worth reading this piece. It's very wordy and it's very long. I've highlighted just a little bit. I'll get to that on the tail end of the show, the, the final third of the show. I revolutionized the beer industry eight years ago, and how I did that has something to do with the Great Recession and uh, a robbery. I'll tell you that story here in just a couple of minutes, and that's a, I'm on the anniversary of that. So what really kind of changed where I was going was this uh, all of a sudden hitting on the on the headlines outside of every you know more sex sexual assault and uh, harassment charges every day, literally every day, every damn day. I'll talk about that for a minute too in just a second. I won't go into that. I've spent two weeks in a row on that now, and I just don't know how much more there is to add to my thoughts on that. But in the news cycle, which not many people are paying attention to, it doesn't. It's not sexy. Sexual assault is sexy. Net neutrality reversal is not sexy at all, and most people don't know what the hell it is. And there's a reason for that. One, it's it's not eye catching, and two, it's very complicated. It's very very complicated. But before that story came out, and I should you know, someone on Facebook said, uh, well, you, there's no reason to get mad about it. We all knew this was going to happen. Well, technically, the answer is yeah. I guess if you if you thought about it long enough, you knew that the reversal of, of net neutrality was going to be pushed by the Republicans at some point. Just hadn't thought about it in a while. But before I was going to do that, I was going to talk about this headline that I saw. I talked about it just a touch on on uh, on Alta 98.7 the other day. Cable rates are going up again here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I was very, very careful and very vague on the radio when I talked about it the other day. And I ain't going to be vague in the slightest today. And I'll get to that in Stone's Throw. And it all kind of, it made more sense to have that conversation once this net neutrality and the FCC reversal push came out. And then I got to, the more I read about it and the more I, I did research on this entire subject, I realized how little I actually knew. And I pay attention to this kind of stuff because the FCC and regulation of media outlets, that's interesting stuff to me, man. That's right up my alley. Now, to somebody who doesn't care about any of that kind of thing, that's boring. I mean, that's bore the hell out of you stuff. So I'm overly interested. I want to know more. And the more I read, the more damn confused I get. So I decided that I wasn't going to go into the net neutrality part of it in depth today because I don't feel like I'm educated and smart enough to do it. What I'm going to do is try to reach out to somebody who is over the course of the next week and the post-Thanksgiving Stone On Air podcast, the weekly dose for, let me pull up the calendar, the 29th. I'm going to have somebody on to explain it further. I think it's interesting and I think it's immensely important. I think it's more important than any piece of shit thing you're watching on any news channel out there. 
And there's there's history and precedents that show that overregulation of the distribution of information is bad. Even if you can tell me a thousand ways that it's not bad, I can point back into history just to 1996 and the Telecommunications Act that was the beginning of the end for the broadcast industry as we knew it and certainly for the radio industry long before the internet was a thing that anybody took seriously. I'm getting ahead of myself. That'll be coming up in Stone's Throw. And real quick thought on uh, the final Mox game of the season. I went down uh, over the weekend, this past weekend, to go see the Mox win over ETSU 10-3. Wasn't exactly exciting football, and it was really an awful season. And I've been the guy who's been saying that I didn't like Houston for all these years, and then we bring in a new coach, and I'm like, all right, cool, we got a new coach. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't a good season. But I, I think Houston left because... Uh, first of all, I think he's a jerk, and second of all, uh, he knew his team wasn't going to be any good, and he didn't feel like he was appreciated, and it, to a certain degree, he wasn't, and part of that was because he was a damn jerk. I mean, sometimes you can be good at your job, and you can still be an asshole. It's kind of the theme of some of this show is assholes. So, um, Mox, bad season, wish the best for him going forward. Tom Arth is their coach now. I think if he sticks it out, and this is a job he actually truly wants to succeed at, he will but he might be like all our Mox basketball coaches and leaves after two years as soon as something else comes around. It's kind of the way the things are going with men's, the, the money, quote-unquote money sports at the UTC Mox Athletic Department. All right, and then so, yeah, Charlie Rose. Now now a bunch of girls are saying that that he's been inappropriate, and maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. I, I've said it a couple times now. Uh, there's no way all these are true. Not every one of these are true. We're too big of a lion-ass, fake-ass, fraud society and culture for all this stuff to be real. It's just not. People lie all the damn time. I am so damn sick of it. It, it kind of started off as a dig at my former employers, and then I kind of took it on as kind of like my shtick, you know, like my thing. Like, I'm exposing frauds, man. What are you, the fraud monster, all stuff. And then the more I, I think about it, the more I dig into things, and the more I look into stories, and the more I read, and the more I uh, analyze and evaluate, I just realize everybody's lying. Everybody's lying. And so there's no chance every one of these is true. And there's no chance all these people are getting smeared all over the place is absolutely true. But is a lot of it true? Well, that's the sad part, actually, probably. But where I was happy to see, this was from the Toronto Sun, which is not exactly, you know, the Washington Post. Jeremy Piven, who had the same same things come out about him the other day, and I actually am a big fan of the guy, uh, just from his work on in, in film and TV, uh, has according to these sources says that he has taken and passed a lie detector test, a polygraph. That these allegations are not true. Now, the argument against it, and it is a valid argument, is that sociopaths can pass these kinds of tests. People who are as, as narcissistic as a lot of the people we're talking about, who don't care about anybody other than themselves, like in the literal sense, can pass these things. Because as you probably already know, they're based on your heart rhythms and how you answer questions. Is your name Brian? Well, yes. Is is your place of birth Southern California? Yes. Did you uh, steal money from uh, your parents when you were young? Uh, uh, no. You know, like it's us that are, I'm the worst liar ever. I'm the worst liar. Now, if I fibbed and told white lies, of course I have. Generally speaking, that's my whole thing, man. Integrity is all I got. It's the only thing I do well. Radio shows, podcasts, and, and holding on to my integrity is the only thing I do well. I can't lie well. And it really is. Most Americans can't truly lie well either. They can cover it up. They can hide it. But a polygraph test will, will catch that. Well, in this case, they say he's passed. So, Jerry Piven, 
you get a pass on by me, and in the end, does it really matter? Uh, no, not with Jeremy Piven, because he's just some dude who makes movies, so who really cares? Before I get into Stone's Throw and cable TV rates going up, and that whole net neutrality uh, diatribe I'll get into here in a few minutes, I will talk about the time I revolutionized the beer industry, and about eight years ago in 2009. Now, what am I talking about? First, I'll talk about the, the recession leading up to it. And this was another thing that hit our company really bad. It just, I mean, if you guys can remember how actually awful the end of the first decade of this uh, century was, really, I think the whole first 10 years of the 21st century was just plain awful. I think in the end of time, and when we look back at sophisticated, modernized America, that 10 years will rank somewhere on a particularly bad list of bad stretches of American history. At the end of that 10-year stretch, it was really bad in 2009. Now, I, I lost some work in late 2008, was making as little money as I've ever made in 2009. Three things in, in one week in 2009. I got fired, my girlfriend uh, left me, and I got my credit line cut by $2,000 when I realized when I went to get a hotel room in Nashville after a Titans game and it was declined when I thought I had like $2,500 left on it. Nope. American Express slashed the credit lines. That's what everybody was doing. I mean, you could not borrow money. Banks were collapsing. Remember the 2008 uh, election, John McCain had to leave his campaign in whatever state he was in to rush back to D.C., with like a month to go in the election to to vote on whether to push through bailout legislation. That big reason why Obama was won by such a landslide because the, the economy was wrecked, destroyed by monster conglomeration and monster over capitalistic greed. And we all I mean this is all real, all right? We can all point fingers and argue as to why. But so anyway, 09 was bad. I work in the beer industry and I still do. My role is a lot different now than it used to be, but basically at the end of the day, my job was to make bank deposits and like reconciliation and invoicing. Well, the beer industry, built on legislation from the 1950s, is a cash-on-delivery business. This is an absurd process now. It is illegal to leave beer as a distributor at an account without receiving payment for it. Now, liquor, liquor, wine, high-end booze, has a net 10-day pay period. You can you can pay within 10 days. That's because those were laws that were constructed probably more like the 70s or 80s when the idea of carrying a bunch of cash around started to seem like not as good an idea. Beer never got around to fixing their laws because you know why? There's no lobbyist who cares about fixing that legislation. It's not going to change. So the beer industry is still cash on delivery. And we used to have thousands of dollars a day coming in with the deliveries trucks and and cash and i had to count it all and bank the deposits and take it to the bank the lightest day of cash would be just shy of 10 grand the highest day of cash would be in the neighborhood of thirty thousand dollars i think i broke the thirty thousand dollar number a handful of times so generally speaking between fifteen thousand and twenty twenty five thousand dollars in cash a day in all denomination of bills, ones and fives and tens and twenties. And I'll tell you what, those stores run by uh, foreigners, they love to get rid of their dirty money, their dollars and their fives to the beer guys. There'd be hundreds and hundreds of fives and ones from all their shady dealings. So counting cocaine-laced cash was something I did on a regular basis. Well, I did this at that point for about six or seven years. And I've had a lot of characters come in and out 
as drivers. There's uh, We now have 17 routes back then. I think we had uh, 13 routes, maybe 12 routes. And those turned over quite a bit. So there's people coming and going every day that know that there's this room and there's this place right over here that has between five and $30,000 worth of cash any single given day. And in this situation, we know that that dumb white guy over there walks out the front door with it in his hands every single day and takes it over to that bank right over there every single day. I don't know why it took <laughs> collectively as a company 30, 40, 50 years, but since I was around seven years to realize one of these days, someone's going to rob you, dude. And the week before Thanksgiving in 2009, the crappiest year that anybody's had in a long time, somebody waited for me to walk out the front door, put a gun in my face, and robbed me. Not only robbed the money, then grabbed my keys and stole my damn car. <laughs> I kind of wish it got away with it and I would have got some insurance money and I'd, I'd have a new car by now. I still drive the same damn car as we speak right now. Uh, in the end, they found the car right around the corner over by Finley Stadium, downtown Chattanooga. Uh, they went to dust for fingerprints. I haven't cleaned out my car since then, probably. And at that point, I probably hadn't cleaned it out in five years. There's probably 20,000 fingerprints on that car. They weren't going to find anything. Dude got away. Got the, got the 10. It was 10 grand that day, I believe. $96,000 in overall sales, including money orders and checks, which obviously we can, you can stop payment on those. And we were able to recover a lot of that. But 10 grand, boom. See you later. And so over the course of the next six months, all the distributors in the state of Tennessee got together and decided no more cash on delivery. Now, in 2009, that still seemed odd. Like, what? My my money's no good here? No, it's not, dude. Now, in 2017, when everybody's got a smartphone and and uh, electronic payments is such a is such a thing now, it seems normal and seems like, oh, of course, of course, that's how you do it. In 2009, the iPhone was two years old. Not many people had an iPhone. BlackBerry was barely a thing. So not accepting cash was a pretty big deal at the time. Now, you know, again, doesn't make doesn't make a difference. But so the entire state of Tennessee stopped carrying cash and went to electronic payment or uh, or checks or money order payment, cashier's checks payment only. And that was because I was robbed in 2009. There was a great Facebook uh, uh, page back in 2009. Of course, Facebook looked considerably different than it does now. It was called 2009 Can Eat a Dick. And to this day... That Facebook page is still the best Facebook group I've ever been a part of. Getting television programming or video services has never been more customized, more easy, and more affordable. Yet, local cable companies are once again raising their rates. Tell me what I'm missing here. This is Stone's Throw. Heads up! It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa! Back up the truck! What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me, I'm stupid, I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? So the reversal of net neutrality is something we all should have known was coming, but most of us, including me, hadn't thought about it in a while. And what exactly is net neutrality? And I'm not going to get into the specifics of it this week. I am going to have somebody on uh, on the phone with me next week to give me a more in-depth conversation and look 
and analysis into exactly what it does and doesn't mean for you and for me and for service providers and for the overall economy and, and, and all that. I'm going to try to find somebody who's you know down the middle here who just wants to get information across. I'm not looking to get uh, a left-wing or a right-wing take on this because this is going to be just like so many other policy, legislations, uh, conversations, talks in in America where, well, if the Democrats are for it, so am I if I'm a Democrat, or if the Republicans are for it, so am I because I'm a Republican. That's how a lot of things are with people. They just, they go with whatever their side tells them to. And I think this one very much is a very good example of that because it's so hard to understand. So we just assume that our elected officials that we believe in or semi-trust in or at least voted for and can tolerate that they've got our best interest. And sometimes that's an okay way of looking at it. I, I, I would say, generally speaking, it's probably not a good way to approach anything. I always understand what it is you're voting for, believing in, advocating for. I think blindly doing it is a bad idea. The reason that I get into this so emphatically and semi-passionately is because I am a media guy. The distribution of media is very important and interesting and fascinating to me and the history of it from the Communications Acts of 1934 to the Telecommunications Act of 1996. These are things that have changed and shaped the way information is distributed. And it's very important that we not over-regulate the way information was distributed. In 1934, they put together the Communications Act basically in response to uh, propaganda machines and the Red Scares. We wanted to make sure people didn't just do whatever they want, say whatever they want, and be you know crazy wacky on, on public airways because this was a service. This was a media distribution outlet. And while that sounds good and might have had some, at that time, very good intentions, in the end, it, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, was put in charge of, of the Communications Act and now overseen over-the-air broadcasting. It almost turned into its own propaganda machine in, in, in a different kind of unintended consequential way. And it became a mess until 1996 with the Telecommunications Act under Bill Clinton, which has eerily similar talking points as to why they did it, which opened up ownership to limitless amounts of, of ownership of media outlets. Before that, from the old Communications Act, that was a good portion of that legislation that said you can't have all the radio stations and, and newspaper printing and television stations that you want because then you really can control the information if you can gobble up all the competition or gobble up all the media distributions. That was a good part of the 1934 legislation. The Telecommunications Act threw, ripped that up and threw it in the garbage can. And so now... Any old, you can own as many as you want. And guess what that led to? Bland, awful programming and the control of information and content and was really the first domino to tip over to ruin the radio industry as a whole and pretty much ruin the over-the-air broadcasting industry, which was only technically saved by the cable boom, which included them in their packages, but they're now both on the verge of extinction with the explosion of high-speed fiber optic networks all across the world. Cable companies would love to reverse net neutrality because that means they can get into this and now they can start they can start shifting their rip you off model from the cable packages and now start fixing and formulating ways to charge for higher bandwidth, to charge for faster speeds, to charge for different kinds 
of access that right now they're not allowed to do because it's the free internet. We're all paying for the same internet. That old commercial, it says, we're all got the same internet, comes from the same place. Why would you pay more? I don't remember, net zero or something. And so in layman's, the, the, the net neutrality regulations from 2015 keeps the internet open for anybody to use. And changing the way we define what internet service providers are and try to roll back into a 1934 piece of legislation and how the FCC can, can potentially regulate and control internet providers is a dangerous move. And I, I can't eloquently describe to you why, other than I know that if the FCC is involved, I don't want to have anything to do with it. The Federal Communications Commission is not a, a government agency that we need to be giving more power to. It is a government agency that needs to be defunded. It needs to be, it needs to be taken out back and put out of its misery. It is an antiquated, unnecessary government agency. They don't need more power. They need less. And in my estimation, they need no power. The problem is there is no lobbyist for this. There is no president running for office. There is no congressional representative. There is no state senator. There is no United States senator that has any interest in spending time on this, meaning the the defunding of the FCC. Planned Parenthood, uh, we'll all scream to her blue in the face. The EPA, we can't be doing this. The EPA is the worst ever, or we need to protect the environment. The FCC, nah, who cares? Who cares? Well, people who care about freedom of information, freedom of speech, freedom period, should care about limiting the FCC's role in anything that we do in the year 2017 going forward. You, you, you had me at FCC. If the FCC is involved, I'm out. This is from NetRite Daily. What the heck do we need a Federal Communications Commission for? And it's talking about wanting to have more regulation to give more opportunity for people to get involved in the distribution of information. Like there's not plenty of opportunity to do that now. It says the Communication Act was created in 1934 to, quote, make available so far as possible to all the people of the United States without discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin or sex, nationwide and worldwide wire and radio communication services. The agency was chartered on the premise there was limited bandwidth of the public airwaves and barriers to market entry. Yet, with thousands of television channels currently, radio stations, and millions of websites, including web streaming services to choose from, and seemingly limitless ways to transmit via satellite, broadband, and other means, it seems the only limits that once existed were merely technological. In the end, innovation achieved what the FCC never could. Now the only barrier to broadcasting is a video phone and a free YouTube account. There is no need to regulate media ownership when everyone has the ability to create and distribute their own media. You don't like Comcast? Switch to Verizon. Tired of paying for cable? Get Netflix or Amazon Prime. It goes on from there. There is no lack of competition. And with the limitless technology at our disposal, there never will be. That is, unless the government gets involved and screws that up. From TheVerge.com, the proposal to reverse net neutrality will do three things. First, it'll reclassify internet providers as Title I information services. Second, it'll prevent the FCC from adapting any net neutrality rules to practices that internet providers haven't thought up yet. And third, it'll open questions about what to do with several key net neutrality rules, like no blocking or throttling of apps and websites that were implemented in 2015. Now, I don't even know what the hell that exactly means. I honestly don't. 
The Internet Association, a group that represents more than 40 top internet companies, including Google, Facebook, and Netflix, said there was no reason to change the rules. Quote, the current FCC net neutrality rules are working and these consumer protections should not be changed, said the CEO's group CEO, Michael Beckerman. Consumers pay for access to the entire internet, free from blocking, throttling, or paid prioritization. Um, in the end, I don't need the FCC getting involved. But I'll get somebody who knows more about this, who can talk to you and me more, uh, more educatedly and who actually knows what the hell they're talking about coming up um, hopefully by next week. So, But what started me even going down this road was from the business section of the Times Free Press last week, EPB and Comcast raising cable TV rates in 2018. EBB announced Friday is boosting its basic cable TV rates by 9% for its nearly 59,000 customers. According to Consumer Reports, Comcast raised prices this year by an average of nearly 4%. In addition, the company's broadcast TV fee, fee jumped from $5 to $7, and the fees for customers rose from $3 to $5. EPB will continue to offer 15 to 18% discounts for bundling videos, voice, and internet service with no installation fees, contracts, or data caps. Utility spokesman John Pless, who used to be a media guy, who now is a shill for the monopoly that is EPB. Talked about in the past, I think EPB has become too powerful in this city. If you're not on board with EPB, they can restrict what you can and can't have involvement in. And I've had some problems with that for a while. So I thought monopolizing was bad and antitrust laws were important. Well, I guess as long as you love your internet speeds and your television programming, you don't care about that. But just in its simplest form, when YouTube Red, Sling TV, Amazon Prime, Netflix, PlayStation View, regular old YouTube, Video on, on, on websites, streaming Periscope and Facebook Live, where there's countless opportunities to get a hold of anything you want whenever you want it. What the hell is going on with these cable companies continuing to increase their prices on a product people are fleeing from? And I understand that this is, well, they're trying to make up for lost customers. That's an understandable situation, but continuing to charge the people who still do technically kind of like your product more and more and more and more every single year is not working anymore. And guess who can't wait for a potential reversal of net neutrality? The big cable companies, because they know that in the next probably 10 to 20 years, I don't think that that's a stretch at all to say in the next 10 to 20 years, they're done from this model. Cables running through your network neighborhoods. I remember having this conversation with my cousin who works in Hollywood in 2007 on the radio at Talk Radio 102.3. And I said then in 2007, I believe that one of these days, all these cables you see running will not be a thing. Internet will be the basis for the distribution of, of programming, television or otherwise. People were like, what the hell are you talking about? That's where we're at. That's the crossroads where we're at right now. Technology has taken over, and these asshole cable companies want to continue to go up every single year. Well, maybe they know. Maybe they're just gouging as much as they can because they know they're about to get their net neutrality reversed, and that's going to allow them to get into the game of let's 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 screw over the internet consumers now. Let's see how many different ways we can charge them. Let's see how many different ways we can prioritize how they do or don't get information. Let's control what people see. Based on how much they spend, they spend a lot of money. Give them the faster broadband lines and the fast lanes, as they call them. They don't have much money. Ah, well, then we'll just give you what we think you need. 
A lot of this at Telecommunications Act of 96. That was the that was the talk back then. Oh, if you allow people to own more stations, they'll create more jobs. And they'll be and they'll be able to make more money. And it'll work well for everybody. What did it do? Damn near ruin the entire industry. And that's the same concept that's coming out with this net neutrality thing is, hey, this is what we need to do. He's kind of handcuffing a couple people and they're not able to make like a hundred billion dollars a second. You know, only a hundred million dollars a second. And we, if we just like tweak this over here. It'll be better for everybody. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you vote for and be careful what you believe in. All right. That's all I got for right now. Uh, speaking of believing in. The death of Christianity in the United States, an opinion piece from BaptistNews.com from Miguel De La Torre. That opinion piece and my thoughts next on the Stone On Air podcast. It's a weekly dose for November 22nd, 2017, and I will be right back. Welcome back into the Stone on Air podcast. It's a weekly dose for November 22nd. Do want to say happy Thanksgiving to you. It's one of the holidays in this country that I truly do enjoy. I really do like it. I used to flippantly joke and say it's because I don't have to do anything. All I got to do is show up. It's more than that. It's more important than that. It's more meaningful than that. We live like kings in this country, and we should be thankful for it. And stop being selfish assholes every minute of the day. Stop being lying, selfish jerks. And and be appreciative for the incredible country that we live in. America is already great. We're not. It doesn't need to be made great again. It already is great. And every one of us, it doesn't matter how broke or downtrodden you think you, you've been, you still live like a king compared to the majority of the rest of this of this planet. And we're not appreciative of that enough. Constantly running around, God bless America, God bless America. If there's a God, God has blessed America plenty. All he's done is blessed America. And if he's there, he'll continue blessing America. So happy Thanksgiving. Consider this. Consider this. Hint of the century. Consider this. Slip. So as I get into this segment, I, I, um, I, I don't want to... 
I don't want to offend anybody, and I'm going to try my best not to. Um, I, if you listen to me regularly, you already know where I come from on a lot of this stuff, so I'm not going to give you firsthand a lot of anecdotal um, conversation about what I do or don't feel about things, but I did one day think about this or several times have thought about really what is the state of the of this country are we a christian nation you know you hear you hear that question or you know america is a christian nation and i began to question that and when i really started to question that was when i was at the chattanooga market last year doing the show live like i did several times which i might do again in 2018 by the way which um is a little ways off now as, as you know the market just ended but it came down, and I don't remember what the news cycle was at the time. We hadn't elected uh, a new president yet, but the you know the media and and the talking points and the social medias were on fire. And a, a dear, darling, wonderful, awesome friend of mine, and one of the biggest Christians that I've ever known, and who is devout and 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 is is not a fraud and believes and practices and preaches it, and I appreciate her for that. Was uh, her name's Leah? She was down there, and my dad, who is a, a at times I question some of the things and approaches he has, is on this, but overall a true, devout, and real practicer and follower of 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 his religious beliefs. And they started the conversation about saying America is not a Christian nation. Look around. You think this is what Christ this this is how Christians behave? That this is how Christians, true, real, evangelical practices of the of, of of religious beliefs you think that's what this is no this is that this is out of hand this is not what america is anymore now it wasn't is that bad or good or or you know didn't go into too far depth with it but when i talked to two people who were devout followers of religion emphatically talk about how america is not a christian country anymore but it got me thinking about it even more it almost like emboldened me to look more into it before I read this piece from BaptistNews.com, The Death of Christianity in the United States, I just want to just lay it out there, and this will be some you know, the anecdotal stuff. What I think the Amer- average American human being really needs is something to believe in, something that gives them willpower, something that gives the motivation to, to, to fight on, to keep moving on, and to do well. And I don't, I don't really care at all what your reasoning is for that. And if spirituality and religious practices and the belief in a higher power is something that brings you joy, that's awesome, man. That is so good, and I am so happy for you. I'll give you the example. guy I work with, his name's Maurice, worked with him for over 10 years now. He's a minister. He's a singer, religious, contemporary religious singer. He spreads the word of God and his religious beliefs emphatically. To anybody who's interested in hearing it, we're both musicians. We've both had hands in, and he's done a little media in his past. We both value spoken word entertainment. We have a lot in common, except for when it comes to the spiritual nature of our lives. I have none. He has all of it. It's like zero to 60 in two seconds. You know, we go from nothing to all of it in two seconds, but we respect each other. And we really like each other and value each other as co-workers and as human beings. I have what motivates me in life. He has what motivates him in life. And neither of us are going to question each other on why we have those motivations. That would be disrespectful. That wouldn't be very Christian-like. That wouldn't be very nice. 
to judge other people based on their beliefs. And so when I talk to him, I got a foul mouth, man. And in the beer industry, we all have foul mouths. And in the radio industry, it's even worse. And I drop what people would consider the quote-unquote Lord's name in vain all the time. When I'm around him, I make a conscious effort not to. Not because he's going to get mad at me, because I respect him. And I'm not going to do that. He wouldn't care at all. I've accidentally done it. I didn't apologize because I knew I didn't have to apologize. But I take his belief system seriously, and I'm respectful of it. I don't believe in a damn bit of it. And I think he's totally off base on half the things that he spiritually believes. Doesn't matter to me. Has nothing to do with me. The judgmental nature of this country is bred deep within the religious hallways of, of denominations all over this country and this world for that matter. Not me. I don't give a damn. But I often talk about how the founding fathers were pretty much despicable people. They get put on these pedestals with these fake stories about how they're just the, these incredible men. They really weren't. They were scoundrels. They were, they were awful in nature. But they were some of the more brilliant men the history's ever seen. And something that was very important to them were a couple amendments and the, the freedom of speech and religion and all these things were very, very, in the press, were all very, very important and, and, and assembly. These were things that were, that were the foundations of this country. So that holds a lot of weight with me. And so, no, I am emphatic. The Ten Commandments, get that, get that off a of public school. Get that out of, a, out of a courthouse. Don't bring your religion in to government-funded anything. That was that whole point. That's not disrespecting God or your religion or you. That is holding true to the values of what the founding fathers had. Remember, I mean, the Second Amendment, well, you know, they'll fight me. You'll kill me over that. But just say, oh, it's no big deal. Who cares about it? It is a big deal. You have an amendment that means a lot to you. I have an amendment that that means a lot to me. It is a big deal. You don't have to be a Christian to be fair. You don't have to be a Christian to be nice. You don't have to be a Christian to to hold sacred values of human beings. Being a quality person, the prerequisite isn't being a believer of you know and and, and a faith based person. You can just be a cool dude because you feel like it. You can just be a, a really good quality human being because you think it's a good idea. It doesn't have to have any kind of you know higher power spiritual backing. It can be just because you want to. And growing up as a child of the 80s and a teenager of the 90s, you could not say things like this out loud without really causing some, oh my God, can you believe what he just said? Shut up. You believe in what you want to believe in. You do you. I'll believe in what I want to believe. I'll do me. You worry about you. I'll worry about me. So I was in the closet for it for a long time. But I have values and morals and ethics that I want to follow. And I want to be a quality person. It didn't have anything to do with anything other than I just think that's a good idea. But so when evaluating the entire country, it gets a little little more complicated than that. So I'll read this piece real quick and then uh, get out of here. I appreciate you guys sticking around through a lot of this uh, scattered mess. This is The Death of Christianity in the U.S., opinion piece from Miguel De La Torre. He is a professor of social ethics and Latinx studies at the Ilf School of Theology, a scholar, activist, author, and an ordained Southern Baptist minister. And this piece can be found at baptistnews.com and started to make some rounds on social media in the last week. Christianity has died in the hands of evangelicals. Evangelicalism ceased being a religious faith tradition following Jesus's teachings concerning justice for the betterment of humanity when it became a Faustian bargain for the sake of political influence. 
No greater proof is needed of the death of Christianity than the rush to defend a child molester in order to maintain a majority in the United States Senate. Evangelicals have constructed an exclusive interpretation which fuses and confuses white supremacy with salvation. Only those from the dominant culture, along with their supposed inferiors, who with the colonized minds embrace assimilation, can be saved. But their salvation damns Jesus. To save Jesus from those claims to be his heirs, we must wrench him from the hands of those who use him as a facade from which to hide their phobias, their fear of blacks, their fear of the undocumented Muslims, and their fear of everything queer. Evangelicalism forsakes holding a sexual predator, an adulterer, and a liar accountable, instead serving as a shield against those who question the president's immorality because of some warped reincarnation of Cyrus. Laying holy hands upon the incarnation of the very vices Jesus condemned to advance a political agenda. Instead of rebuking and chastising in loving prayer, has prostituted the gospel in exchange for the victory of a Supreme Court pick. He's a wordy dude. Only a couple (laughs) paragraphs left here. You might wonder if my condemnation is too harsh. It is not. For the Spirit of the Lord has convicted me to shout from the mountaintop how God's precious children are being devoured by the hatred and bigotry of those who have positioned themselves as the voice of God in America. As a young man, I walked down the sawdust aisle at a Southern Baptist church and gave my heart to Jesus. Besides offering my broken heart, I also gave my mind to understanding God and my arm to procuring God's call for justice. I have always considered myself to be an evangelical but I can no longer allow my name to be tarnished by that political party masquerading as Christian. Like many women and men of goodwill who still struggle to believe, but not in the evangelical political agenda, I too no longer want to or wish to be associated with an ideology responsible for tearing humanity apart. But if you, dear reader, still cling to a hate-mongering ideology, may I humbly suggest you get saved. That is an ordained Southern Baptist minister, Miguel Delatore. Read the entire piece at baptistnews.com. On the way out, some numbers I found on this poll, it said of the 100% of the people, it's like a pie chart of Christians who were asked where they fell more into, active Christians were 19%. They believe in salvation comes through Jesus Christ, committed churchgoers, Bible readers, invest in personal faith development through the church, feel obligated to share faith. Sounds like my grandparents. Professing Christians, or 20% of that pie chart, believe salvation comes through Jesus Christ, focus on personal relationships with God and Jesus, similar beliefs to active Christians with just different actions, less involved in church, both attending and serving, less commitment to Bible reading or sharing faith. That sounds like my parents in the 1990s, and it sounds like anybody who's near my age's parents in the 1990s. Private Christians, this is the biggest portion of this pie chart of Christians that were polled. Private Christians are the largest and youngest segment. Believe in God and doing good things. Own a Bible, but don't read it. Spiritual interests, but not within church context. Only about a third attend church at all. Almost none are church leaders. That's virtually every millennial walking around. Half those people, I'm just making up numbers here, half those people don't believe in it at all. They just believe in it because they feel like they should. You know, and if that's what you want to do, go ahead. And this this was an interesting uh, terminology. Cultural Christians, 21% of these polled into this pie chart. 
little outward religious behavior or attitudes, God aware but very little personal involvement with God, do not view Jesus as essential to salvation, affirm many ways to God, favor universal theology. That, my friends, is not, <laughs> that is not a Christian. That is somebody who truly doesn't believe but is too scared to say that they don't because of cultural pressures and societal pressures, which thankfully are not like they used to be. And it really shouldn't be. You shouldn't be afraid to say what you really believe. You should be able to be free to be able to say whatever you want without somebody judging you as being some kind of, you know, total worthless asshole because, oh my God, can you believe he doesn't believe in God? And as your kids grow up and as people get educated, they need to be able to learn whether they believe in these things. Not just be told, here's what you believe in, Johnny. Hey, Sally, this is what you believe in. Said it many times in past conversations at the old radio station. If you were born in Baghdad, you'd be a Muslim. That's just how it goes. If you were born in India, you'd be a Hindu. If you were born in Ireland, you'd be a Catholic, Protestant, maybe. And if you're born in America, you're a so-called maybe Christian. I'm not sure if you feel like it. I don't know. So is America a Christian country? And it has we have we found the death of Christianity in the United States? I don't know. But it's tough to think about. I appreciate you guys finding the show here each and every Wednesday. First thing early on in the morning when you wake up, it's sitting there. Your midweek download destination. And uh, I really do mean it. Happy Thanksgiving. And take a few minutes, at least, uh, if not the entire day, to realize that you really do got it pretty good, man. It doesn't matter who the president is. doesn't matter who your congressman is. doesn't matter who your mayor is. You got it damn good. We all do. And we should be thankful for that. So enjoy your Thanksgiving. We'll do it again next week. I hope to have somebody on to further dissect the net neutrality reversal possibility, which seems like it's more of a guarantee. Uh, right around the corner, which is the biggest story, the biggest issue for the for anything that means really all that much as far as the economy and your personal viewing and entertainment and programming interest. It's very important, and I hope to break that down more next week. See you later on on the radio, Alt 98.7, 3 to 7, Monday through Friday, and uh, see you around whenever that might or might not be. White lies matter. Black lies matter. All lies matter. Don't be a fraud, and the truth is easy to remember. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye.